Welcome to the Whole Life Healing Podcast with Dr. Alexander Lloyd, best-selling author and founder of the Revolutionary Healing Codes Technique. Each week, Dr. Alex shares principles and methods from psychology, energy medicine, natural medicine, and spirituality to help you reduce stress, heal emotional and physical issues, and remove the barriers that hold you back from happiness and success. Join us as we learn to live our happiest, healthiest, and most successful lives. Here's Dr. Alex. Hi, Dr. Alex here. If you like the show today or any day, I would love it if you took about 10 seconds to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I've been doing this for about 14 years now, and I spend hundreds of hours every year in preparation and recording the show. And if you like it, if it's worth your time, if you think it might benefit others, I would love it if you could leave a review to recommend to your friends or just recommend it to your friends that could benefit from listening to the show. Thank you so very much. Since we are going to be talking about issues of health and well-being, we wanted to make sure that you understand that this information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd and welcome to the new Jesus. Uh, you probably noticed right off if you've been here before that the backdrop is uh, completely different. My old backdrop was at uh, our other house, hoping I just moved last week. And so my old backdrop had, you know, a bunch of books and stuff. Um, this week, uh, it's kind of ragged. Um, got a blanket covering up a thing back there. Uh, it's a work in progress, so um, try not to be too distracted by the surroundings. Um, Okay, this week, what we're going to be talking about, in my opinion, is one of the most controversial aspects of Christianity, being a follower of Jesus, one of the most controversial things about the entire uh, Bible and Word of God, uh, something very much, I believe, misunderstood by Many believers, if not most believers, you can decide yourself after this if I'm misunderstanding it, which I may be. And because of that, I want to reinforce something we've done before. I would really appreciate it if you would say right now, wherever you are, even if it's just a whisper, I have every right to question or disagree with anything and everything that Alex says, okay? Um, and that's a wise thing for you to say because I'm the biggest screw-up I've ever known, okay? Sorry for the crass language there. Um, so, uh, believing that about myself and starting today this thing that I believe is very, very controversial I am just really praying that God and the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus will lead and guide me in this and what I can share will be both in truth and love and be understandable and clear. Um, I grew up 
in church. I went to a Christian school starting in third grade until I graduated from undergraduate college. Now, in graduate school, I went to a state university, but undergraduate was a private Christian university. I majored in ministry, and I'd really never heard any meaningful discussion of this passage in all those years. And I believe it's simply because they didn't have an answer for it. And there were a number of things like that, that passages that, like, you are the righteousness of Christ and things like that, that um, I never heard talked about the, the, the things that were preached and taught in the classroom to me were the same things over and over and over and over and over. And that's some of what we talked about before, love A versus love B. And what I was taught was love A. If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. And yeah, if you pray and ask for forgiveness, God will forgive you, but you're still guilty. You should still feel guilty, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right? Uh, that's what I grew up on. I was never taught love B until Hope kicked me out of the house. I met my spiritual mentor. He started discipling me on average probably one to three hours a day for two to three years. And I went through, as I've told you before, that six months of night terrors toward the end of that when that transformation was happening in me, all right? Doesn't mean you're going to go through six months. You may not go through any of that. It was just me. Everyone's path is different. Okay, but once I learned love B, and that that, in my opinion, really was the truth and scriptural, and that the love A I'd been taught was in error, oh my goodness, it changed everything for me. And then, last week, we also talked about how, based on whether we're living love A, love B, which is kind of how we determine and keep score of if I'm a good person or a bad person, and that, and by the way, it's a rigged system. You can really never beat it. But that has a lot of determination on whether I choose life A or life B. And where love A, love B is how I keep score of whether I'm a good person or not, life A versus life B is keeping score of whether I'm having a good life or not. And the factors I tend to measure it by, if I'm living life A, is, am I getting enough pleasure? Can always use more of that, right? Uh, I need enough money so that I can buy pleasure, buy protection from pain, buy relaxation, buy things that are fun, exhilarating, exciting, uh, buy pain relief, etc. And I keep score of that. How well is my pain pleasure going versus life B, which is to go through pain God's way, patiently, instead of just trying to get it over with as soon as I possibly can, and learning and growing from that pain and becoming a better version of myself, and then connecting to other people to lend them a hand, to lend them a hand, okay? All right, so once you reach the 
destination, so to speak, and it's not really a destination, it's more of a journey, but once you reach, reach the destination where even in pain, you're going through the pain with joy and peace, it will change everything, okay? Um, here you're looking to be independent, do what you want, not have to do what you don't want. Here you're looking to be dependent on God. Your will be done moment by moment. Uh, this is fake safety. I think I can pay for safety, but you can't. The only real safety comes from God promise to never leave you unprotected and his outcome guarantee. Uh, in this one, boredom is also a big issue. Um, uh, a lot of my sin challenge in my life has come from boredom. I mean a big percentage, maybe 40%. I'm dyslexic, ADD, ADHD, all that stuff. Now, I see a lot of that as a strength now, where I used to see it as a weakness, but it's still there, all right? It, it, it's, it, that boredom thing still hits me more than most other people. But anyway, if you are living love A, you will tend to measure your life by life A. If you're living in love B, you'll tend to measure your life by life B, all right? So, which are you doing? How do you define happy? Do you define happy as circumstances good, I'm happy, circumstances bad, I'm unhappy? Or do you define happy as going through whatever it is God's way rather than my way? With patience, your will be done moment by moment, whether that's pleasure or pain, and your outcome guarantee whether it's what I wanted most or not, or maybe even what I didn't want. But then I turn to you in that adversity, Corinthians 4.10, I'd be delighted to obey you in this, give it to God, your will be done, Jesus moves to the forefront of my life, manifest in my physical body. Okay, so do you tend, if you're not sure where you are, love A, love B, where are you, life A, life B? Do you tend to measure your life by how these are going, or how, or valuing this way of living and what comes from that, all right? Um, okay, let's take a look. Uh, just reviewing, we want certainty. God wants uncertainty because that's, that's faith and belief. Um, the certainty of living this life and scoring your life by that ends in uh, stress and unhealthy control. Living love B and measuring your life by life B ends with peace and faith. Okay? So that's kind of a review of where we're coming from. Uh, it's about belief in love versus fear of death. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, where you are the righteousness of Christ and a new creature, and um, the 16 areas of righteousness, and then the 9 areas of blessed, where God says, even if I sin, God declares me right and righteous because that sin has already been paid for by Jesus. He has the receipt. It does not have to be paid for again, so that sin is never credited to me. 
never credited to me, not credited and forgiven, never credited to me. And we read those scriptures from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay? All right. So let's move to this week. And I think that's the fastest review I've given so far. I'm trying to do better about that. Okay. All right. So let's move to this week. Again, we have the best, the best outcome guarantee. If you experience fear or anger when your life is not in danger, it's a virtual guarantee that you are living at least to a significant extent in love A and life A. All right? It's another diagnostic. Um, if you measure your life by life A, pain-pleasure, you largely do it by pleasure, pain, comparison to other people, and even your projections of what you should be doing. And very often, that's the biggest one, is, is how hard you are on yourself, comparing yourself to what you believe you should have done or needed to do. All right? Uh, Accomplishments, we measure by accomplishments. I won the tournament, or I lost in the first round, or I'm making six figures, or I'm only making uh, 20 bucks an hour, and the opinions of others. That's how we tend to measure ourselves. So, do those sound familiar to you? Okay? Measuring your day, your life, an event by the pleasure, pain. Comparing yourself to other people, other trips, other events of this type, how your uh, uh, experience simulator imagined it was going to go, okay? Accomplishments, what you've got on the wall or don't have on the wall, and what others think of you. One entire huge area of the field of psychology going back historically is that the best way to do counseling is simply to repeat back in a positive way whatever the client says, okay? So no matter what they say, give them positive feedback, all right? And that is a very highly regarded, it's called Rogerian therapy, a very highly regarded form. Why, why, why in the world would that help? Why would it work? Because when we get that positive feedback from others, it makes us feel better about ourselves, whether it's really true or not. Although, typically, if it's not true, we'll feel good about it because that always feels good when somebody compliments us or is positive or supports us. But there will still be a lingering, yeah, I know they said that, but something doesn't feel right. Okay? You will have that with it even if others give you positive feedback, if they're not being completely truthful to you, okay? Um, so that's how you measure it. But those are the wrong factors. Those are the wrong variables to measure your life. What are the right variables? Life B. Are you going through pain God's way or your way? Are you defining your life by pleasure pain? Or do you give up the end results to God? Are you trying to be dependent or independent? Okay? 
You're trying to arrange it so that you can pay and create a bubble around you where you get almost all pleasure and no pain in one way or another? Or are you living in the present moment, next 30 minutes, giving those end results up to God, whatever they are, in a dependent way? Are you giving your safety to God? I don't mean doing dumb stuff, running out in front of a car or anything like that, but I mean your overall safety, your health, your um, how long you live, whether you get a disease or not, um, etc. Are, are, are you living, leaving that to God, or are you trying as hard as you can to control these things, but they're not completely in your control, so according to the research at Harvard, it puts you into chronic stress, which now you get a disease, where before giving it to God, maybe you don't, all right, based on God's will. And the best outcome guarantee is over here, not over here. This is, if you measure your life by these, it's a guarantee that you will not get your best outcome. At least if you do that long term. If your intention long term is to be sinful and to not obey God in this area, then that outcome guarantee is gone. All right? All right. So, and, um, and we think that if our percentages are really high here and low here, that that's a really great life. When in reality, this is the really great life. These are all symptoms. Okay. Now, so what is the big controversial thing that we're going to talk about today? Well, let me read it to you. All right. Romans 8, starting in verse 27. Now, let's start in verse 26, sorry. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words that, can, that we can't understand or express. And he who searches our hearts, the Father, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So God looks at and knows my heart and the intention of my heart through the Spirit. All right, let's keep going. Verse 28. And this is, of course, very familiar. And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We've talked about that a whole bunch. But here comes the controversial part. Very next verse. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along 
along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Wow. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. He's the only one. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. Is at the right hand and is interceding for us continually. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present nor the future, nor any powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, wow, 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 my goodness. So, Romans 8, 29 brings in the word that we've not discussed yet, predestined. Predestined. What does that mean? Well, it means before things started, God had mandated already something that was going to happen in the future. What would that be? It says, those whom God predestined, so that's us, people, human beings, those whom God predestined, he foreknew. How, what does that mean? It means he knew me not only before I was ever born, but before the foundations of the world. Well, how is that possible? We talked about this weeks ago because God is not bound by time. And time affects virtually every sinful versus not sinful decision we make. If you don't believe that, think about this. Would you do that sin if Jesus Christ were standing right there beside you in the flesh? Would you do that sin if God was in the room with you with all his glory and light all over, okay? Would you do that sin if the Holy Spirit started talking to you in words from inside you and there was no doubt that, wow, goodness gracious, this is miraculous. Well, I believe for 99.99999% of us, the answer to all three of those is no. If God was there, if Jesus was there, if the Holy Spirit was there, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do the sin. Then why, why is it that I do do the sin? Because I know God is there. God is all and in all. He's omnipresent. Scripture says Jesus and I are one, the mystery of the ages, and that the Holy Spirit lives in me. My body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So according to the truth... That is the case. They are here. Wait a minute. I just said if I knew they were, if they were here in physical type form somehow, 
I would not do the sin. But in reality, they are here, and I still do the sin. Why? Two reasons. Number one, I don't really believe. I don't really believe the truth. I don't really believe this. I don't really believe that God is God. Jesus is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that they're really here. Okay? That's one. Number two, I'll start tomorrow. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I do believe, and yeah, if they were here in the flesh or whatever, I wouldn't do it, but they're not, and I, I, I believe I can repent and confess and still be saved. I believe, you know, I've done this sin a hundred times, a thousand times, and I have repented after the fact, and it's been okay, so I imagine I can do it one more time, but I am planning on some point to... That's why you did it, because you really don't believe or you think I've got time to make it right. And so I'll take my pleasure or pain avoidance now. Okay, but, but, God is not bound by time. What does that mean? It means that he knew there was going to be a guy named Alex born in 1959 whose mother was told to abort him because the doctor said she would die if she didn't abort me because she had a medical condition and was never supposed to get pregnant again and then did accidentally, all right? God knew I was going to be born. He knew my mom was going to make that decision. He knew everything I was going to do in my life if he chose to know because he's omniscient. He knows everything, okay? Uh, and God is not bound by time. To God, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. In heaven, there will not be any time. There will be no night, no tears, no sorrow, no whatever. And it appears there was no time before, because a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. John 1, uh, Jesus is the Word that became flesh, etc. Alright? So, God knew if he chose to, everything I was going to do in my life, when I was a year old, when I was 15 years old, when I was 25 years old, the things I did in public, the things I did in secret, uh, what I'll do today, what I'll do tomorrow, what I'll do on Tuesday, July 20th, 20 years from now, if I'm still alive. He knows all of that if he chooses to know. Okay, so what does this predestined mean? Well, again, I'm not a scholar. I don't mean to keep using that as an excuse. It, I don't feel it as an excuse. It's the truth, and you need to know that. But I've, for decades, I've I've. Um, consulted with a number of scholars, done a lot of study myself. My undergraduate degree was in ministry. I had a number of classes on hermeneutics and all that sort of thing. So um, I may be, I'm not a scholar, but maybe I'm not, you know, a, a kind of beginner either. Uh, one time I had, I had someone who called themselves a Christian who... Um, took me to dinner, said they wanted to talk to me. They were a, a good friend. I'd known them for a long time. And they expressed at the dinner 
that they were concerned that I was going to go to hell because of some of my beliefs that changed um, since Hope kicked me out of the house and I went from uh, living love A to living love B, all right? And I really appreciated the person's concern, okay? So um, I said, okay, well, thank you so much. Let's, let's talk about some of these issues that you feel I'm wrong about and, and, you know, ask God to lead and guide us and whatever. And the person said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to talk about anything. I don't read the Bible. I don't study the Bible. I don't understand it. I just uh, do whatever the preacher says, okay? Well, that makes it a little bit difficult to get to the truth. Uh, if, if, if you don't read, study, uh, and possibly understand the truth, okay? So, um, I highly encourage, you've got to go through that journey. Um, to see what you really believe, to see what the truth really is or is really not. Okay, but the point is, God knew the before the knew me before the foundations of the world, and by knew me knew the intentions of my heart, what they would be all these thousands of years later, and the decisions I would make, the sins, the good stuff, all of it. All right, so what? I believe, and again, don't believe this because I believe it, but what I believe, based on my own study, other experts I've talked to, etc., is this, that God knew who would choose love. He knew, because he knows everything, if he chose to, all right? He knows who will choose love and who will not choose love. Who will choose seek pleasure, avoid pain, what's in it for me, love A, life A, selfishness. Okay? He knew that before we're ever born, before it ever happens, etc. Okay? So on the basis of what God knows I will do when I get on the scene from 1959 to 2021, on the basis of what God knows I will do and will not do, He foreknew me, He predestined me, He called me, He justified me, and He glorified me. Which, you, which means I'm in a state of grace. I'm saved. When I sin, it's not even written under my name, etc. And I came into this world with God already being here as far as I was concerned. I believe. Because He knew I would respond to His love in a positive way. Okay? If he had known I would not respond in his love, to his love, in a positive way, in other words, I would reject love and choose, seek pleasure, avoid pain, selfishness, 
then why, why call me? Why call me? If you were a parent and you had two children and they were out playing and one was named John and one was named Jill and you knew if I call, Jill will come, but John won't. Do you even call John? Maybe not. Jill, come to lunch. And then maybe Hope says to me, aren't you going to call Jill? Well, why? She won't come. Well, maybe Hope says, well, call her anyway. Okay. Jill! And sure enough, she doesn't come. Well, after doing that enough, I probably quit calling her. Because it never works. So I learn for Jill, I've got to go find her and get her. All right? Okay? I have to learn that. God does not have to learn that. Because he's not bound by time and he's omniscient. He knows everything if he chooses to. So God doesn't have to learn it. He knows it. Because remember again, uh, let's see if this is on that other side or if we've erased it. Yeah. We see time in a linear way. Okay, this is when I was one years old. This is when I'm 50 years old. Okay, and I can't see what happens until when I'm 50 until I get to 50, all right? This is how God sees time. So when I'm one year old, he can also look at what I'm going to do today when I'm 50, okay? He doesn't have to learn it by letting us get to that point in time and then seeing what I do. He already knows what I'm going to do, okay? And on the basis of what he knows I'm going to do, and, and hear those words. I'm not saying thinks I'm going to do. I'm saying knows I'm going to do. Big, big difference. We think we know what might happen in a lot of situations. Sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong, right? God's never wrong, 100%. He doesn't think. He doesn't even believe. He knows, okay? So on the basis of what he knows I'm going to do, he calls me or doesn't call me. I believe if he knows I'm not going to, I'm going to reject his call, then it is likely he doesn't even call me. Okay? He already knows what I'm going to do. Now, as human beings who are bound by time, that seems mean and cruel to us, right? Wait a minute. You didn't even give them a chance to do it right. You punished them or withheld blessing and righteousness, and they haven't even had a chance to do it yet. Well, that's because we're bound by time. That's the only way we can do it. It's impossible for us to know what the person's going to do unless we learn that by waiting till they either to see what they do. God's not bound by that. He knows. So, is it possible that if God knows, 
I am going to reject his call to love that he simply doesn't call me. I believe it is. Is it possible that if God knows I am going to reject his call to love and choose seek pleasure, avoid pain, selfishness, no matter what, then is it possible that God puts me as far as where I'm born and the parents that I have and the city and the life circumstances? Is it possible that God places me in a situation that is congruent with him knowing that I'm going to answer his call to love, obey him, give him control, become dependent on him, focus in the present moment, giving up the end result, and do my best to live his will moment by moment. Okay? I believe if God knows that, then according to this passage, he's going to call me. If he, if he foreknew that I would respond to his call of love in love, accepting it. Remember, no one's going to be in hell because of sin. That's been paid for by for Jesus by everybody everywhere for all time. The people that will be in hell are the people, whatever that is, are the people who will not accept the love of God and his free gift. Okay, so if God foreknows that I am not going to accept that, maybe he doesn't call me. And if he knows I am, he does call me. Just like we would do as human beings with other people if we knew those things, which we can't because we are bound by time. But if we did, I believe we'd do the same thing. No, I'm not going to call him. He, he, he will never come. It's wasted effort. I need to focus on the people that will come. All right. But, again, that seems mean and cruel to us because we can't wrap our head around that, around knowing what's going to happen before it happens. Okay? That's right. We can't. We're not God. All right? Okay. Let's move on. Um... No charges. The same passage that we just read. Okay? Those who he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified, and no charges will be placed against God's elect. Who's God's elect? The ones who, when called, are going to respond. So, if that's you, if that's me, then no charges will be filed against you. Well, what does that sound like? It sounds like, um, um, it sounds like righteousness. It sounds like grace. Even if I do, if I do good, I do good. If I do bad, I still get good. It sounds like, blessed is the man whose sin will never be counted against him. The Lord does not credit their sin to them, both Old Testament and New. That's what it sounds like. Well, it's what, guess what? It's because that's what it is, I believe. No one can condemn those who answer God's call. 
to love in his free gift. No one can condemn, and God is the only judge. So even if I condemn myself, even if someone else condemns me, it means nothing. And, that, and we're told, do not judge. On the basis of how you judge, that's how you're going to be judged. Judgment is for God and small children. Okay? So God is the only judge. The only thing that matters is what He says about it. What does He say? He says that if I do answer His call, okay, if I do love the Lord and am called according to His purpose, a couple of verses earlier, then he will make everything work out for my good. But what we're talking about today, the little unbelievable kind of uh, uh, variable here is that God knows before we ever do it and goes ahead and acts on the basis of what we are going to do or not going to do. Okay? Now, could that include where we're born, our you know, what part of the world, whether poverty or what? I think it could include almost anything based on the providence of God and what He believes is right for me, knowing that I'm one of His. When He calls me, I'm going to come. All right? Now, here's where we're getting, here's where we're getting to an interesting point. Okay, let, let, we're not there yet. Continuing that same passage we just read. If that's you, and you are called, he knows you're going to respond, and you do respond, and he justifies you, glorifies you, nothing can separate you from love. That's what it says. Nothing can separate you from love. Not financial bankruptcy. Not health problems. Not... Uh, relationship issues where other people don't treat you the way you would like or believe you deserve to be treated. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Well, that's what this whole thing's been about that we've been talking about these months now is belief in love versus fear of death. Well, if you're called and answer his call and he knows whether you will or not and, and that's true every day for, the, for up till now and the rest of your life, all right, then he acts on that even b maybe before you do it. And if you do respond, nothing can separate you from that love, which is everything. Happy versus unhappy, Success versus failure, great brain chemistry versus stress brain chemistry, positive hormones versus addictive hormones, love, joy, peace versus anger, anxiety, selfishness, low self-worth, rejection, unforgiveness. The difference in that is the difference in everything that you call your life experience, long-term and moment-by-moment. Okay, all right. You are always victorious and receive God's grace and love. No matter what. If you are predestined. And, if, and you're predestined 
on what God knows about you and your life before the foundations of the world, before you ever do it. Okay? Now, does God always act before you do it or don't do it? No, I'm not saying that. I don't know. Okay? But all I'm saying is that this passage says, if he foreknows you, you're predestined called justified, which means declared righteous, just, glorified, which means the presence of God, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you and Jesus are one, and you will receive the grace and love of God no matter what. Okay, so here's the big question you're, you're thinking. At least I was when I was first taught this a couple decades ago. Who is predestined? How do I know if I'm predestined? For the love of God or for living in pleasure, pain, and struggling all my life? How do I know if I'm predestined or not? Or how do you know? Here's the magical answer. It's your choice. It's your choice. It's not already decided. The deciding is yours exclusively, a hundred percent. God gives you a hundred percent free will choice. But remember, because to not do that would eliminate love. Love requires a choice. Okay? So, whether you will respond to God's call to love or not, it's your choice. And it's your choice right now. It's your choice tomorrow. It's your choice 10 years from now. Always. God does not affect your free will choice. God does not take that away. God does not uh, cause you to live the sinful life or, or to not participate in grace or anything like that. Everyone's sin has been paid for, for all time. He, he didn't just pay for it for the people who will respond to his call. He, he paid for it for everyone. Whether you respond or not is 100% your choice. It's simply that if he chooses to, he can know what you will choose while not affecting your choice. Okay? You know the wonderful thing about that? You can choose in the next 60 seconds and then you will be foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Uh, no one can separate you from love. You can decide in the next 60 seconds to respond to that call. And then all of that stuff applies to you. And you may be thinking, but wait a minute. How can that be if God already... No. If you decide 60 seconds from now to respond to his call of love and accept it, okay, God knew you were going to do that in 60 seconds. And he factored that in all the way up until now, including afterwards, okay? 
He's not causing you to do it. He just knows what you're going to do. All right? I remember one time, um, uh, George, we had a tree in our backyard uh, at our home. And Harry was, boy, Harry was an unbelievable climber as a, as a little kid. He had that strong but slim body build. And I mean, he could climb a pole just like a whoosh. He could climb great big trees. He could climb anything. Uh, he would climb up the walls in the house. I mean, when he was a little kid, people would be amazed, really, uh, how he could climb. Well, he's got a little brother who's seven years younger, George, okay? And I'll never forget, Hope and I were in the backyard on a beautiful day. The, guy, the boys are playing, and um, Harry's just climbed the tree and then come down. And now George says, I'm going to go climb that tree that Harry just climbed. Well, Hope and I knew that George couldn't climb it. We knew. <laughs> he wasn't anywhere near big enough, strong enough, whatever. No way he's going to climb that. All right? Well, did we, did we say, no, George, don't even try. You can't do it. It's too big. No. We said, all right, go for it. Okay? Now, we didn't think he couldn't climb it. We knew he couldn't climb it. All right? But we still, go ahead. Go for it. All right? He did and tried a whole bunch of times. Could not climb it. Got a little bit upset. But you know what? We were able to use that as a learning experience for him that really did help him. Uh, and actually, he started learning to climb and in time was able to climb it, all right? Well, we didn't cause him to not be able to climb the tree. We just knew he couldn't, okay? Now, there's not a whole lot of things us humans know for sure like that, all right? But God is like that about everything, if he chooses. Revelation, the book of Revelation, is telling us how this is all going to end. Well, how does God know that? Because he knows everything, and he's in control and has all the power. Okay? So even if it started not going that way, he could change it to where it goes back that way. All right? But as far as you're concerned... He gives you the free will to choose because that's what love's all about. All right. So, it's your choice. Um, we've talked a good bit about grace. And I've heard from a couple of you that it's still not super clear. So let me try to give you an example. And um, this is an example I started using uh, when I was in my 20s working with teenagers and, and worked pretty well at least then. But uh, imagine this situation. There is a father and a son. The son is 16 years old. And the father, his entire life, has wanted a Corvette automobile. All right? I mean, he wanted one when he was 5, when he was 10, 15, 20, 30, 40. And, and today, he's about 45 and has been saving his money for like 10 or 15 years 
to buy a Corvette someday. And the day has finally come, he has enough money, goes down to the dealership, buys a brand new Corvette, exactly the one he wanted, red with a, a top that comes off like a convertible, big engine, great sound system, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he is so excited, man. This has been decades of his life. His whole life he's wanted a Corvette, and now it's here. And he is just so excited and brings it home and every little bit of uh, bird poop or rain or pollen that falls on it, he washes it off so that it's sparkling and clean. And his son, who's 16 years old, and the school prom is coming up. Okay? You probably guess, can guess where I'm going. And so, with a great deal of hesitation... The son goes to his father and says, Dad, um, I know it's asking a lot, but is there any way you would let me borrow the Corvette to take Mary to the prom? And, and the dad immediately relates to his son. He remembers being 16. And, uh, and loves his son very much. And so he thinks about it a second, but pretty quickly says, okay, all right, of course, yes, you can borrow the Corvette. Uh, that'll be awesome, man. What a great night that'll be. Just don't speed, be careful, you know, bring it back with a full tank of gas, blah, blah, blah. And the son is so excited. Sure, 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 yeah, thank you so much, Dad. Wow, and man... His son is now over the moon excited. He has his date lined up. The prom's coming up. He's got that Corvette shined up, maybe some flowers. Man, it's going to be a fantastic night. All right? A few hours later, the um, father and mother were awakened by police coming to the door, knocking on the door. And they come to the door, open it, and are immediately terrified. Uh, they first thing they think is something's happened to our son. And the policeman goes on to say that um, their son had wrapped the Corvette around a telephone pole. It was totaled. But their son is fine. Okay? Now, imagine you're the father or mother and put yourself in that situation right there at that instant. Your son is fine, but the Corvette, which costs $60,000 probably, brand new, been saving for it for decades, and didn't have insurance on it because it was a different day and time back then. This is a true story, by the way. And, and so they didn't have insurance on it yet. They were going to get it the next day. So it's a total loss, okay? How do you respond? How do you react? What do you feel if you're the parents? Okay. Well, their son, who's sitting in the police car with a blanket over him, they already took the young lady home. The son, sitting there in the police car, is absolutely terrified, horrified, stupefied, uh, whatever-fied. He is, oh my goodness, what have I done? My dad will never forgive me. 
I can never make this right. Um, oh my goodness. I wish I'd never asked. I wish I'd never seen that car. I wish I'd never asked to borrow it. I wish I'd just taken her in my Yugo. <laughs> a lot of you don't even know what a Yugo is. Very cheap car back then. Okay. So, he's terrified of his dad's response and, oh man, what kind of punishment. I'm going to be grounded for the rest of my life. So the father starts walking down to the police car very quickly. All right, and the son is looking at his father coming. Oh man, here it comes. I'm about to get it. And his father gets to the police car and grabs his son out of that car, pulls him up, lifts his feet off the ground, and says, Son, I love you so much. I love you so very much. Don't you worry about that car. Don't you worry about the loss of money. All that matters is you and that you're okay. I love you so much. That Corvette does not matter. I love you so much. That's all that matters. Now, how does 16-year-old son feel? Oh, wow. Relax. He can let go now. It's okay. I can't believe Dad responded that way. Oh, man. Okay? Alright. A day or two later, the boy is doing something at home. Um, happy. Uh, he's almost completely recovered from what happened emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He didn't really get hurt much physically. And he's just so thankful, so grateful. Still feels kind of bad about it, but is so grateful the way his dad and mom responded to him and really changed his view of his identity and worth, uh, that they valued him so much in a situation like that. So two, three days later, and the dad has a big business meeting coming up and is really busy, so he goes to his son and says, Hey son, man, I hate to ask, but I've got to go pick up a business associate at the airport, and my Yugo is filthy. I know I'm asking a lot, but is there any way, while I go take a shower real quick, you could clean it up a little bit for me. You don't have to. I know that's not your job, but I'm just kind of between a rock and a hard place here. How do you think the son responds to that request? I'll tell you. Of course! Yes, Dad, I would love to clean up the car. Yes, yes, yes. Where's the bucket? Where's the garbage bags? I'm going to get to it right now. I'm going to do a great job on this car. Yes, Dad, I would love to clean up the car. Question, does the son mean it? Does he mean that? Is that the truth? Is he really happy and glad to clean up the car? 
Answer, yes. Question, would he have been glad and eager to clean up the car before he wrapped the Corvette around a telephone pole? Answer, no. He would have disliked cleaning up the car. He would have tried not to clean up the car. He might have complained. He might have made excuses. He might have even lied to get out of it. What's the difference? He was pricked in his heart by the love of his father. And that changed his understanding of the Corvette, of love, of himself, his relationship to his parents. It changed him. Almost like a near-death experience would change you. And I've ex now this is a true story that didn't happen to me, okay? But I've had some similar things, not quite as dramatic as that, but some similar things happen. Love changes you, just as fear does, okay? And love changes your have tos into want tos. So if your actions and behaviors have not changed. Okay? If your have-tos are still have-tos and your want-tos are still want-tos, which is pain-pleasure, then there's a really good chance you do not understand the grace of God. You don't understand what He really did for you. And the only way you can is to study what he did for you, it, to see what the truth of that is, and to get in relationship with him so that you come to know him and his love for you, just like the boy and the love of his father related to the Corvette. Well, for us, it wasn't a Corvette. It was the life of Jesus. If we were going to relay that to the Corvette dad story, it wouldn't be Junior wrapping the Corvette around telephone pole. It would be Junior being condemned to death row or something, and the dad taking his place and dying himself for his son. The problem is, none of us are sinless, so our sacrifice is not enough for you and the rest of the world. Jesus, who was sinless, perfect, his sacrifice is enough. And that's what he did for you and for me. All right, so if your have-tos are still have-tos, and, 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 and I don't mean that 100%. We're always going to like some things and not like other things, all right? But if it's a burden, if it's, if it's ah, you know, something in the anger family or extreme anxiety, when something happens that's not what I wanted, then you probably don't really completely understand 
how much you are loved and how much God did for you and is do and is doing for you and the reward that he has for you and his miracle plan of love because if you did understand it it would change your have to's into want to's okay um I'm going to leave a responsibility versus accountability until next week, okay? But I do want to address this. Um, a new study came out um, that's absolutely fascinating to me. Um, here's what they were studying. Our thoughts. And in the study, the study participants and subjects they were required by the study with every single thought they had to either say that thought out loud, what it really was in truth, or lie about the thought because uh, it reveals a sin or they're embarrassed about that thought or they think it would make the person uh, feel bad or not like them or something. Something, okay? But those are the rules. You, every thought you have has to be expressed. Either the truth of what it is or a lie about the, fault, about the thought. All right? What they found is that over 75% of our thoughts we would lie about. Why? Well, it would either reveal some sin that we're ashamed of or we'd be embarrassed by what the thought was or what I just said. It would hurt somebody's feelings and we want them to like us or whatever. But what's my point in that? My point is that we can't do it right. Nobody's going to be perfect when 75% of your thoughts you would lie about rather than saying what's happening to you internally because you're ashamed of it or embarrassed about it or whatever, all right? Well, what's the point? The point is God has saved us from all that. It doesn't matter that 75% of your thoughts are negative. Doesn't matter. He's already taken care of that. He's already paid for that. And if we trust him and give that end result pain pleasure to him, I believe that once we're in that state of grace and we understand his miracle plan of love, that that switch can flip from 75% of the time we would lie to maybe 75% of the time we would tell the truth because... Our thoughts have changed. Our have-tos have been changed into want-tos. We understand love because we've been the recipient of it and we feel it, okay? And it changes your thoughts. It changes your feelings. Now, it'll never be perfect while we're in this flesh. The, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. All have sinned and fallen short. That's why it's not of grace, not of works, but of grace, lest someone should boast, okay? But, Think about that. 
if in your life right now you could switch from 75% negative, sinful, selfish thoughts to 75% love, joy, peace, positive energy, positive thoughts, it would be absolutely life-changing for anyone. I've done counseling and therapy for 30 years. You have someone come into me who's got anxiety, depression, whatever it is, if I can switch that person's energy and thoughts and feelings and emotions from 75% negative to 75% positive, for the most part, we're done. That's it. That's unbelievably successful. That rarely happens in talk counseling or therapy. Typically, the people still have their same problem after two or three years of counseling. They just have coping mechanisms now. Or they feel better because they've shared their problems with a friend who's responded positively to them. So it makes them feel better, all right? But they almost always still have their problem. They've still got depression to some extent. They've still got anxiety to some extent. They've still got, you know, whatever. If you switched it from 75 negative, 25 positive, to 75 positive, 25% negative, the great majority of those people no longer have a problem. Okay? Now they can do what they want to do and not do what they don't want to do. Their depression's probably gone. Their brain chemistry, their brain state is all changed. Alright? So, um, and I believe this is true whether you're talking about in the church or not in the church. Okay. Um, to bring this one home, the 75% lies, what we're really talking about is real love versus fake. It's back to love A versus love B. All right, so let me ask you this. As far as understanding grace and it turning your have-tos into want-tos, all right? What if you lived with someone for 50 years, okay? And you thought it was a great relationship, or at least a really good one, all right? And you rarely argued, you laughed, you had fun, you went on vacations, you had children, you, you know, all that stuff, okay, for 50 years, all right? And that whole time you're thinking, I love them, they love me, wow, this is good. Well, what if at the end of the 50 years, that person told you, hey, I need to confess something. All right, what do you need to confess? I never really loved you. I mean, I acted in love as much as I could. I tried to love you at times, and at times I probably didn't very much. But if I'm honest, I never really loved you. Not love be love, regardless of pain or pleasure. No, I, I never loved you that way. I was kind and acted loving because you never did anything that messed up my pleasure or trying to stay away from pain. You never mess me up. 
But if you had messed me up, I probably either would have wanted a divorce or separation or living together but separate or I would have gotten angry. I would have tried to get even. I would have been apathetic and not said anything. I would have... I would have done something negative. But you never gave me reason to. But just for the sake of full disclosure, we've been together for 50 years. I'm not trying to hurt you, but I thought you should know that. Just because I want to be truthful. All right? How would you feel? You'd be devastated. And it happens a lot more than you would think, where people get to the end of their life and realize they never really loved that person the way they should have and wish they could go back and do it again and feel guilt and regret, all right? On the other hand, if you understand grace and you do respond to God's call of love, you really do love them for 50 years. Sometimes you'll get what you want, sometimes you won't, but you work it out, you talk, you are angry or something for a little bit, but then catch yourself, dust yourself off, start again. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Can we start again? All right. Um, if you really understand grace and accepted God's call for love, then chances are you really do love the people in your life as best you can. And if you're letting, giving God control, that will get better over time. You'll love them better and better over time. And they will tend to sense that. And it will affect them as well. Okay, so are you predestined, if you're not, to this point, you can be 60 seconds from now. It is your choice. God knows if he chooses to, but it's your choice 100%. And it's your choice every day until the day you die. Okay? But if you do choose that, it means you are foreknown, you are predestined, called, justified, glorified, and no one will ever be able to separate you from love. Which is the whole point of this life and the best experience in this life you can have is living that love be life be. So, how about starting to be predestined today? It's your choice. Have a wonderful, blessed day. Okay, Santo. I may not do a deep water this week. Well, what's the point? 
The point is, God has saved us from all that. It doesn't matter that 75% of your thoughts are negative. It doesn't matter. He's already taken care of that. He's already paid for that. And if we trust Him and give that end result pain pleasure to Him, I believe that once we're in that state of grace and we understand His miracle plan of love, that that switch can flip from 75% of the time we would lie to maybe 75% of the time we would tell the truth because our thoughts have changed. Our have-tos have been changed into want-tos. We understand love because we've been the recipient of it and we feel it, okay? And it changes your thoughts. It changes your feelings. Now, it'll never be perfect while we're in this flesh. The, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. All have sinned and fallen short. That's why it's not of grace, not of works, but of grace, lest someone should boast, okay? But think about that. If in your life right now, you could switch from 75% negative, sinful, selfish thoughts to 75% love, joy, peace, positive energy, positive thoughts, it would be absolutely life-changing for anyone. I've done counseling and therapy for 30 years. You have someone come into me who's got anxiety, depression, whatever it is, if I can switch that person's energy and thoughts and feelings and emotions from 75% negative to 75% positive, for the most part, we're done. That's it. That's unbelievably successful. That rarely happens in talk counseling or therapy. Typically, the people still have their same problem after two or three years of counseling. They just have coping mechanisms now. Or they feel better because they've shared their problems with a friend who's responded positively to them. So it makes them feel better, all right? But they almost always still have their problem. They've still got depression to some extent. They've still got anxiety to some extent. They've still got, you know, whatever. If you switched it from 75 negative, 25 positive, to 75 positive, 25% negative, the great majority of those people no longer have a problem. Okay? Now they can do what they want to do and not do what they don't want to do. Their depression's probably gone. Their brain chemistry, their brain state is all changed. Alright? So, um, and I believe this is true whether you're talking about in the church or not in the church. Okay. Um, to bring this one home, the 75% lies, what we're really talking about is real love versus fake. It's back to love A versus love B. All right, so let me ask you this. As far as understanding grace and it turning your have-tos into want-tos, all right? What if you lived with someone for 50 years, okay? And you thought it was a great relationship, or at least a really good one, all right? And you rarely argued, you laughed, you had fun, you went on vacations, you had children, you, you know, all that stuff, okay, for 50 years, all right? 
And that whole time you're thinking, I love them, they love me, wow, this is good. Well, what if at the end of the 50 years, that person told you, hey, I need to confess something. All right, what do you need to confess? I never really loved you. I mean, I acted in love as much as I could. I tried to love you at times, and at times I probably didn't very much. But if I'm honest, I never really loved you. Not love be love regardless of pain or pleasure. No, I, I never loved you that way. I was kind and acted loving because you never did anything that messed up my pleasure or trying to stay away from pain. You never messed me up. But if you had messed me up, I probably either would have wanted a divorce or separation or living together but separate, or I would have gotten angry, I would have tried to get even, I would have been apathetic and not said anything, I would have, I would have done something negative. But you never gave me reason to. But just for the sake of full disclosure, we've been together for 50 years, I'm not trying to hurt you, but I thought you should know that just because I want to be truthful, all right? How would you feel? You'd be devastated. And it happens a lot, more than you would think, where people get to the end of their life and realize they never really loved that person the way they should have and wish they could go back and do it again and feel guilt and regret, all right? On the other hand, if you understand grace and you do respond to God's call of love, you really do love them for 50 years. Sometimes you'll get what you want, sometimes you won't, but you work it out, you talk, you are angry or something for a little bit, but then catch yourself Dust yourself off, start again. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Can we start again? All right. Um, if you really understand grace and accepted God's call for love, then chances are you really do love the people in your life as best you can. And if you're letting, giving God control, that will get better over time. You'll love them better and better over time. And they will tend to sense that. And it will affect them as well. Okay? So, are you predestined? If you're not, to this point, you can be 60 seconds from now. It is your choice. God knows if he chooses to, but it's your choice, 100%. And it's your choice every day until the day you die. Okay? 
But if you do choose that, it means you are foreknown, you are predestined, called, justified, glorified, and no one will ever be able to separate you from love. Which is the whole point of this life and the best experience in this life you can have is living that love be, life be. So let me say it one more way, different angle. If God foreknew you, you are predestined because God knew you would respond in love to his call of love. If that is you, then you've made it. You've got your ticket already. Okay? Because God knows what you don't know. God knows you are going to end up at the end, whenever that is, being faithful to Him. Because you feel His love, you accept His grace, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. So, you've already got your ticket. So, no matter how much you sin, again, either intentionally or unintentionally, right when and after you do that intentional sin, you've still got your ticket. You're still saved. You're still in a state of grace. You're guaranteed because God already knows what you don't that you are going to end up faithful to Him. Now, of course, He also knows if you're going to end up unfaithful to Him. But that's not the point. The point is that it's your choice. And you can start choosing now. Anytime. Doesn't matter what you've done up until now. Okay? That's been paid for. Right? So, you can be justified, glorified, can never be separated from love. Victorious. Uh, that was somewhere in here. Um, always victorious, okay? Always victorious. That's the outcome guarantee, all right? So, choose that. God knows your heart, okay? It's about the beliefs. You've got conflicting beliefs, but you can choose the belief for you. In fact, that may be your only choice. Who's going to get me? All right, so how about becoming predestined now? So, if your have-tos and want-tos are not changing, if you, if you can feel that you have negative energy, if when something happens that you didn't want to happen, you experience something in the anger family or extreme anxiety or whatever, uh, if your life is not in danger and you're focused on seek pleasure and avoid pain rather than love in the present moment. Um, if you believe that right now you are not called, justified, glorified, that you are separated from love, too much anger, too much anxiety, stress, if that's the case, then what do you need? Well, 
Again, I think you need to understand from Scripture what the truth is about these, uh, the new law, the new covenant, and God's Word, all right? And I didn't understand it after growing up with it for decades, okay? Um, and then the other thing I think you need, like the boy and his father and the Corvette, is you need to have your father hug on you. You need to listen to what the Father is whispering in your ear, which we went over weeks and weeks and weeks ago. God's statements in Scripture about your identity, worth, and who you are in Christ. You are saved. You are righteous. You are holy. You are innocent, as if you've never committed a sin in your life. You are a son of God. You are protected. You are... Um, filled with the Holy Spirit and the power that raised Jesus from the dead. You are, you are, you are, you are, and every one of them is wonderful and positive. Okay? So, if, if you're still living with all the have-tos, want-tos, fear, stress, all that, it's simply that you don't believe what God says is the truth about you. Well, how do you change that? You spend time with Him. Communication with the Father, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with other believers in love. Prayer without ceasing, um, etc. You spend time with Him and, ex and experience His love for you. Okay? And that will change you from the inside out. Romans 12, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. God says he will give you a new heart. He will give you the mind of Christ. He will give you the righteousness of Christ. If you'll let it. It's your choice. But you have to spend time with Him. And you have to hear, read, and understand what His truth for me and you is and His new covenant and how it works. Okay? So... Yeah, you can do some of the healing work, the belief profiling, prayer and meditation. All that's great. But there's no substitute to knowing the truth, unlike that person who wanted to have the meal with me because they thought I was going to hell, but then said, oh no, I don't read the Bible. I, I, I don't understand that. I just do whatever the preacher says. And by the way... That was not a dumb person. That was a very smart person. They could have understood if they had tried. Okay, very smart person. Um, and then spend time with them. Just, just the way you would become close with someone here. You spend time with them, and, that's, and that time you spend is in truth, love, kindness, etc. And the onus is not on you. The onus is on God. We love because he first loved us. Okay? If you give him a chance, just like a person here on this earth, he will love you, you will experience that love, and then 
you can respond to the call. And then justified, glorified, never separated from love, always victorious, etc. So if you're wanting all that, but you don't understand this, you don't understand his plan, and you don't spend any time with him, well, good luck. It's going to be really hard to do like that. Just like you couldn't have a great relationship with any person like that either. And you wouldn't expect it. So, how about starting to be predestined today? It's your choice. Have a wonderful, blessed day. Thank you.